Welcome to Judge Movie with your Judge Movie, me, Judge Movie, Ben Flanagan. How's it going? Uh, I'm joined, <laughs> as ever, by cinema attorney... Alicia Izumi, hello. How you doing? Very well. We've, um, we've graduated. We're not, on the, we're not doing our over-the-phone judging anymore. <laughs> we're in um, the Supreme Court of, of judging movies now. Yeah. Top-tier judging going on. Um, and we've also got a guest... Cinema attorney today, Thomas Atkinson. Ah, uh, you got my name right. I Hi, did. how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. good. Um, so we've got a bit of a contentious movie, at least a film that seems potentially like it was caught in controversy that hasn't really followed it that much around. Yeah, um, everyone who's seen it seems to have pretty controversial... Like, there seems to be controversy over people who have seen it, but hardly anyone's actually <laughs> actually seen it. Yeah, no one. It's, it's kind of done the festival circuit last year. And now, um, now it's out. It's yeah, out in the UK, third of May. Mm-hmm. And the, and it's Vox Lux. The film we're talking about today is Vox Lux. Yep. Brady Corbett's uh, follow up to uh, the the birth of a of, an, of a leader, the childhood of a leader. Fun, funny funny story about about him. Um, his his name, as I found out on on Wikipedia earlier, is actually pronounced Brady Corbett. Uncle Bay. Oh. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. I had no idea, and oh. that just makes it just so that just that is so beautiful. Yeah. It's I, such a fantastic. You kind of need a little sorbet, a little palate cleanser when you watch his film. I think or afterwards, maybe. Um, yeah. Really cool, Okay. So um, it just changes everything, doesn't it? He's uh, he, he started out as a as a actor, right? Child actor. Yeah. As a child actor, he in, like, broke out with Thunderbirds. Who's in Thunderbirds? He's Alan. He's he's like the so there's the five main brothers from the TV show, and then there's a sixth brother I think who wants to be as good as the brothers, but yeah. he's not. In the in the TV show, sorry, that this is me like going back into like three year old mode because Thunderbirds was my life when I was when I was three. Oh. So it's like there's there's Scott, wait, Scott, Virgil, Alan, John, Gordon, and Alan in the in the movie. In the TV show, they're all like they all have their own Thunderbirds and they do their own thing. But in the movie, Alan's like this bratty teenager who's like by far the youngest of all of them, and all the other ones have their Thunderbirds that they go off and do like international rescue whatever, and he like has to stay at home and go to school and stuff. Um, and he just wants to be a Thunderbird. He just wants to be, and then that's the kind of drive. that's the film. Yeah, yeah. He and wants when to, he wants to prove, him, prove himself to be a to be a Thunderbird. Yeah. When yeah. when does Busted appear? Um, busted, busted are the main villains of the piece, so they show up. And I'm joking. I've never, I've never seen it. I've never, I, just I really, had you for a second. I really liked it Thunderbirds, is. and I gave it a miss. I was like, I was into the song, but yeah, the um, song was good. Yeah, the song was great. Yeah. They don't, they don't do. The, well, the song appeared at the end of the film, so it's like closing credits. But Busted is not in the film. Okay, so didn't uh, Jonathan Frakes direct that film? <laughs> Star Trek. Riker from Star Trek. Did it. Pretty really? sure. He got yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is not a podcast. We're not judging Thunderbirds today, although potential future. Yeah, one day. Um, one day. Um, we're talking about Vox Lux, and um, this is a film about a pop star, about fame, about the limits of fame, about terrorism and fame. What is this film actually about? <laughs> um, well, okay, so it's split, in, split into two parts. The first part we see. Um, Young Celeste, played by Rafi Cassidy, survive a school shooting in 99, very Columbine-esque, um, after surviving the 
trauma, she writes a song and shoots to stardom. The second part of the film follows a grown-up Celeste played by Natalie Portman, who's a megastar dealing with addiction, dealing with fame, dealing with her own child, and dealing also dealing with the accent. And she's also being haunted by a new act of terrorism. And the whole film is kind of seen to be using her story of fame to reflect on America in the 21st century and its relationship to terrorism. And it is exactly as weird and difficult as it sounds. <laughs> so, so why is this a divisive movie then? What has made it controversial? Or not controversial? Um, I think the first... So the first that I the first I heard of it was when it was at, at TIFF, but the first time I heard someone who had seen it talking about it was when um, I was chatting to um, Manuela Lasich and she, she thinks it's an evil movie. Um, and she was talking about how um, the school shooting aspect of it um, kind of didn't didn't really uh, work for her, and I feel like that is generally that that is in itself a very um, you know controversial, uh, edgy edgy thing to kind of start your movie with um, because it is the the opening scene, and because I knew because I knew that that that, that plot point was there, but nobody else in the screening did. It was very um, like you could oh, hear okay. the gasps and the shocks when it happened. Oh, okay. um, but it's a, it's it's pretty twisted as a as a film. I think like it's very dark and cynical and, and stares straight into the void and tells you there's, there's nothing nothing left for you it's very it is, very dark it is very bratty isn't it um, <laughs> yeah it's kind of yeah. depiction but I don't, I don't think that it the I don't know I was very troubled by the, the terrorism in the first I've seen it twice now I saw it at, at um, Rotterdam I've seen it again this weekend um, and even though yeah it maybe is flippant about that use of, of, of the Columbine um, context it does deal quite thoroughly, I'd say, with her trauma. It all is about how she's affected by that and how society has um, maybe stolen that um, experience away from yeah. her in some way. Yeah, no, I, I think, I, I personally don't think that, that the um, the fact that there's, um, that a school shooting kind of opens the movie is, is, is bad. I think that I my biggest problem with it was that I could see hints of a, of a movie that, that does deal with that in quite a mature way and actually questions you know what is it about this shooting that that reflects how you know how she then grew up um as as a pop star kind of revered for this work that that was born of a school shooting um but it just isn't it isn't that it's like for me it was kind of floundering for a point that um it kind of lands on a couple of times and then shies away from or just kind of ignores um but the school shooting in itself, I don't think, is necessarily um, a bad thing to have in to, to, to kickstart the movie. Personally, it's it's often like either directly talking about those themes or ignoring them completely and kind of going off on some other tangent somewhere. Um, especially in the second half, I think. How, how did you feel about the terrorism in it? Um, I think when I describe it to people, it does sound like quite a cool idea to tackle. Mm that aspect of America and terrorism through pop star and fame. But when you actually watch it and you've got Willem Dafoe narrating it, describing how it's all connected, it kind of <laughs> loses something for me and it seems a bit, I don't know. It doesn't show you how it's connected, it just tells you. And that just seems like that's not a great way to approach that kind of big theme. I think a lot of the associations that maybe were in the script are somehow lost in the footage. like. Um, without getting into spoiler territory she sings a song near the end that's called Our Private Girl in a Modern World or something like that Um, (laughs) yeah but I think that's almost meant to feel like some kind of revelation or some kind of 
thematic point where you're like, oh, she is a private girl and she's oh, stuck she in is. a public world. Yeah. But, and I think that maybe because that doesn't really come across in the actual footage, they've had to rely on the Will and Defoe narration and they know how much gravitas he has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think of like a great narration like um, that's, that's very full on like... Um, Alec Baldwin's one for the Royal Tenenbaums and I think that oh, um, is really yeah and it, it kind of directs you in, in the right kind of ways and this Willem Dafoe one is just kind of uh, I don't know I, I like Willem Dafoe like he's got a great narrating voice he, he could narrate you know the phone book and it would sound amazing the problem with the narration for me particularly I mean again I, if we're not spoiling it I guess I, I should steer I should kind of be careful with this but um in the the performance that you do see of uh, of Celeste when she's older, um, there is some voiceover that kind of talks about uh, what so her 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 sister and her daughter are watching this performance, and the voiceover says something to the effect of um, uh, that that they are, that they're standing there and maybe thinking that, that the performance is good or something like that. They've been they've been done wrong by her in the past and they're still watching this performance and thinking it's great. And I think that, that the the way that it um th- whatever it was that it said, it kind of threw out the point that I thought the film was trying to make, which was that when we're when we're faced with this complete um abyss in in, you know, the the the, the the public world or whatever it is that she talks about in that in that song um we kind of escape to pop music and that's our that's our escape and and you know that's the way that we that we deal with it and i thought the voiceover if the voiceover wasn't there that that point would still sound and then the voiceover as i recall it kind of just completely disregards that yeah i think any idea of like it being about just shop and enjoy the music is um at odds with a lot of what the rest of the film's telling you, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, especially one that's so anxious about modern themes, it's like it's almost um, uh, low hanging fruit, really, to just be like, oh, it doesn't actually matter. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't really follow up on, on on that theme as much as it should. And especially as she she actually says openly, oh, "I want to make music where you don't have to think about anything." Mm. Um, so to kind of it's, it's, it's put too fine a point on it, really, don't they? She's very. F- I don't think the film is necessarily flippant about all of this. I think, but I think the character is, which in a sense kind of w- makes does make sense for the kind of character that that um, Mr. Corbet uh, wants <laughs> her to be. Um, I have to put that flourish on the end of his name now. That I know <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. No, of course. Um, but I I think that her whole the, the whole thing about Celeste being this kind of um, uh, when she's doing the when she's talking about the the terrorist attack in the second act of the film when she's talking about that the, the way that she approaches it is this very not childish but she 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 sees it as not being particularly significant to her when actually in a sense it is it's kind of inescapably um part of something that she was also involved in which again we can't can't spoil but it, it she she is most definitely implicated in some way in it and she's very flippant about it, which is should, which could have worked, I think, if this was actually about her being, uh, if this was all about her being an awful person, which I don't think that it is. It kind of jumps yeah. into stuff. I, I think there's something there because it's her, um, you know, um, uh, the, the the original school shooter. There's references to how he was influenced by like, heavy metal music and stuff. So the idea that uh, pop music then encouraged someone else to do some kind of act is. Um, 
interesting and she maybe can't really face that and it kind of leads to this breakdown or her um, getting shit-faced and um, yeah it's it's um, it's a hard one because it's take it's off over such a short time span when the first half you know takes its kind of pauses and, and guides you through the whole process that it it's um, I know it, it's, it's going for like a kind of Birdman-esque atmosphere right <laughs> of that kind of intensity mm-hmm. and I don't think it um yeah, it just it's it's a film that fizzles out. Yeah, I agree. Even though the last, I personally think that the that the performance in the second act, which um, I think that's probably the only bit of the film that I really loved, um, which a lot of people seem to disagree with me on, but I I I like it personally. I, I find that like so extended, and the music's not great, and the the the, the way it's shot, the dance moves are bad. Um, what I thought you liked that section of the film. The, the dance moves, so they're doing the whole like uh, big fish, little fish, cardboard box. Kind of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. um, no, I really, I think there's. Is the point that it's bad that she's put out bad pop music? Mm-hmm. This is the this is the problem. Is, I don't think it knows. Yes, I I can't tell if it knows or not. Um, so yeah, they're penned by Sia. There's like this big extravaganza performance at the end, and I'm not sure if it's trying to say it's bad or it's trying to say it's good it's like the ass song in A Star Is Born where oh. some people defend that and say no it's it's a good song but is the film just trying to say all pop is bad I I think because well, we were talking about that, that Guardian um, piece um, uh, In the Shallow Why Does Hollywood Hate Pop Music that and which kind of says a similar thing about written by Steve Rose uh, written by Steve yeah. Rose um, of uh what was the thing? Oh, second album syndrome. Yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a death row. Yeah, he's, he's, he's sitting <laughs> in death row right now. He's he's, he's filing from there. Um, no, I I think I think personally that Star Wars one has a bigger handle on whether it thinks pop music is good than this does, but people seem to have mixed opinions on that as well. Um, I mean, I'm sure that we'll talk a lot more about this later, but I I I. I think that that this like the the scene itself I liked in isolation I liked how how it was done but the point that it's trying to make I think is 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 not helped by the fact that the that the voiceover doesn't really help the point that I thought it was trying to make but also the fact that people seem to have been interpreting it differently mm-hmm. so maybe it's not trying to make that point in the first place it's missing another step maybe like something after the the pop um, the pop concert to kind of just mm-hmm. see where she is and how that maybe changed her. And okay, it's kind of trying to say that she maybe didn't change and she was just a star that was always destined to kind of mm-hmm. reach some other kind of religious zone. You know, when she, when she gets shot at the start, um, she's very calm. She doesn't have any... She's, she's talking to the shooter, so it's almost like, you know, she just has this unnatural kind of confidence. Mm. She's... Um, and so when she's making these, like, Kanye-esque claims of I'm a god, it... Um, you kind of see where you see where that element is weaved through the movie but I don't know I don't know what mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I think A Star Is Born by comparison has a more of a handle over the music not just because it's of a higher quality but the songs I think say more for each beat of the film where here it kind of just shoves them in although I do like the I like some of the earlier songs when she's still a teenager oh Wrapped Up is great Wrapped Up is love Wrapped Up yeah, yeah. with That's the uh, epic fail yeah, yeah. lyric yeah Oh yeah, that, that I don't know about that, but everything else, yeah, it's great. Did you did you like *A Star Is Born*, Alicia, or was that kind of was that? Um, I, I quite liked it, but um, 
I actually had a problem with this whole angle on authenticity, the way it's so clearly making a hierarchy of this music is better because it's authentic and it comes from pain. This music is bad mm. because it doesn't say anything real. And like this anxiety around authenticity in music, I don't really, I don't know, I don't like it. Well, she, they even say it in, in Vox Vox, don't they? With um, like, I'm making the worst music of my career, but I'm bigger than I ever have been. Or... Um, kind of. Well, I think it's more interesting that the sticking point is with the, her sister writes all her music mm. and like, oh, that's not good. And like, it's taking it for granted that it, it's better to write your own music rather than like, not even considering the idea that collaborating or singing for someone else is a good idea. It's just saying, like, takes it as a given. It's good to be authentic in that way. I think, I, I mean, I think the film like, is trying to, to say um, it doesn't matter that, like, disregard the, the pop politics of it. It's the fact that it's like her sister specifically that's writing it. But at the same time, if the film is trying to do that, it can't then also claim to be about how pop music and, and social media and like terrorist attacks and everything relate to each other. Mm-hmm. If it, you can you can choose one where it's about the sisters' personal relationship yes. with each other, or you can choose the other. I don't think re- you can really do both unless you're good. Which well, I think it goes for this. <laughs> it goes for the society angle, and so the sister thing to me gets very lost in there. Mm-hmm. She's she's quite a prominent character in the first third, and then as soon as uh, she makes a choice um, uh, on 9-11. Um, can, can we say, can we kind of talk about this more freely? Um, I feel like if people are really interested in listening to a podcast about Vox Lux, they will either, you, you either, either, they'll, either they'll just listen yeah. to it and not care, or they'll tune in. So she sleeps with her manager, with, with uh, Celeste's manager, Jude Law, um, on 9-11, and then suddenly you can't another 16 years in the future, and Celeste has this utter hatred for her sister mm-hmm. um, or resentment for her and it's, it doesn't make I don't know for me that wasn't very clear like why we got to that point like you'd seen them both what, what was it's that? T- it's, it was... Ty- it's tying it to, to, to real life events which is again the problem with it trying to toe the line between being about one person's fame and how they relate to, to real life events you can again you can do both but I feel like this tries to do them separately rather than understanding that there is a link. But I'm just trying to understand the link in the film of why her sleeping with Jude Law then caused this huge rift that's kind of isn't really resolved by the end of the film. I think it's leaning on it as a trope. <clears throat> like the way I think the Jude Law character is just credited as the manager. Like mm. it's just leaning on these signifiers of the pop narrative. So obviously her sister, she hates her sister now mm. that she's become a diva. Obviously, um, like there's a weird sexual tension, and obviously her sister resents her. Um, like in the same with the Sam Elliott character, you know, it's just all these, <laughs> all these things that, is a good, that happen that is a good in the same way. Yeah, that's true. Like, because that's what happens in a music biopic. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah. and, and there's also this weird thing where the very first shot of the movie is like home videos of of. Uh, the sister singing while Celeste's dancing in the background. Oh yeah, I've forgotten about that. And then yeah. one of the very final shots of the film is another home video style shot of Natalie Portman on stage dancing. And I, I took that as some kind of trying to bring it full circle or, or some kind of rhyme with, with the stuff. what it's trying to bring it, full circle. Yeah, it doesn't say anything and it doesn't linger on that so you don't really... It, it, yeah, yeah. There's no link. Anyway, that's that's away from the sister point, <laughs> but I just I thought of that. Um, yeah. But 
Yeah, and, and the choice to keep it as Stacey Martin playing that role throughout, um, even though you changed the Natalie Portman character, was that was that almost kind of a figural kind of idea of Natalie Portman having just grown so much <laughs> that she is now like this kind of towering presence while Stacey Martin... I guess is. so. I think, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's a I cool so. casting idea. Yeah, that that is probably one of the best ideas that the film has that it like follows through on, I think, is the idea that the sister is the same actress and Natalie Portman is playing the old version of this mm-hmm. of this child. Um, because... Um, who, who is because you also have Raffi Cassidy as the daughter, then, mm. of, of yeah. Natalie Portman, who plays young Natalie Portman. Yeah. Uh, almost all the performances are superb, I think. Mm-hmm. So I, like, I know a lot of people have issues with Portman. But, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't mind... Portman. Her accent is really fucking weird. I don't really understand. Uh, yeah, I struggle with that. So, through the first part of the film, I thought, wow, Raffi Cassidy, English actress, is doing an amazing job of sounding like Natalie Portman. And then <laughs> yeah, yeah. she sounds incredible. I was like, I can hear it. I can hear Natalie in the performance. <laughs> and then we get to part two, Natalie Portman and Jude Law are both putting on these ridiculous Staten Island accents that they didn't have in the first part. And I'm not really sure what that is. Like, are they over, like, Feel like they're overcompensating on their identity. Law quite consistent with the, <laughs> really? the accent. Oh, maybe, I, maybe not. Okay. He, I mean, they're both doing ridiculous. Like Natalie Portman when she's older, and then Jude Law, they're both doing ridiculous New York accents, which yeah. I think is kind of. I thought like, are they trying to pretend to be who they used to be, but they don't know who that is anymore? So they're like overcompensating and doing this ridiculous yeah. caricature of New York air quotes. Know, but Portman is going like, you know, she's there's almost this trope now of her being the. Always, it's, we're seeing another Natalie Portman depression movie between Jackie and Annihilation, and, and Black time, Swan, and, and Black, yeah. Uh, yeah. But this one's something a bit different. It's more a lot more manic. Um, I think Sight and Sound described her as like a, doing a full Joan Crawford, which I quite liked. Yeah, um, and I think, um, yeah, Elizabeth Moss has been compared in her smell another rock biopic, fake biopic, has been mm. compared to Jenna Rollins, um, and. So it's like, I don't know, maybe they're, they're quite similar performances or just this full throttle kind of um, campy almost kind of energy. It, it, it is campy. I don't, I don't know if it should be, though. I don't know if, if Natalie Portman should be as campy as she is. Because she she's... I don't even know if she means to be doing campy in this. I think she does. I think she does. Yeah. You think? Yeah. But I think it unbalances the movie yeah. with like the quietness of the first part and just... like. Yeah, like Natalie Portman's like gravity. You're just drawn to that, and that's what you remember from the film. Mm. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree with that. It's but yeah, the first half kind of disappears, doesn't it? In a way. Yeah. I think that, that also though the the other. I mean, casting wise, if we're talking about inspired casting choices. As much as I think that Natalie Portman is just is just okay as Celeste, um, I think it's really important, like who Natalie Portman is, as in used to be a child star, yes. and now is this. Um, you know, she has an Academy Award um, that she won when she was quite young. Two years before that, she was the youngest member of the Cannes jury. Like all, all of, all of that stuff to me says that Corbet was thinking about that when he cast her, unless he wasn't. In which case, I don't know why you wouldn't think about that. But that I think is really significant. I think he's she... very self-aware, if not entirely articulate, of of that, that self-awareness. self-awareness. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I agree with that actually. Only because I think only because of how much this movie keeps grasping at different things and not quite like not quite getting at one thing that it that it tethers yes. itself to through through the whole movie. But it's it's kind of edgelord thing, isn't it? It's like self aware enough, oh yeah, but not of yeah. its of its own kind of 
yeah. cringier elements. Yeah, I guess. yeah. I th- I think that I mean people have I've heard, seen people call this a, a you know basically a movie for for edge lords. I I think it is marginally more interesting than just a, an edgy movie. I think that, and this is my this is my my disappointment with it was that the whole the whole thing about the the terrorism in in the film. I think that the idea, for example, that the terrorists in at the start of the second act are wearing the the mask that that appears in her video, you know, years beforehand. Particularly given that those masks look exactly like the one that Kanye West wore. Yeah, the black skin mask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I think is, I, I think that that is, you know, somewhat a smart observation, even if I don't think it's followed through. Uh, enough, you know, the fact that she is supposed to be this this kind of Kanye West type stand-in, mm-hmm. um, someone who's completely larger than life and has these ridiculous kind of public meltdowns and controversies and and stuff like that. It, it at least it, it pushes itself a slightly further than just being a you know a, a Reddit thread in a in a movie or a four chan thread. In a movie. I don't know. I didn't think it was that edgy. I mean, just the 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 notion in it on of itself is quite edgy. I think it's little. It, it's it's the, the notion, but also certain elements of the technique, like uh, having the credits run backwards at the start, <laughs> and like yeah. having two yeah. drug fueled scenes that are like uh, just a scene sped up. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, little things like that, like having Scott Walker doing your soundtrack, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, it does. It's it's not quite an Avantria kind of. Flex, but it's like it's very, it's very. I want to be a on Fonte. Yeah, I want to be able to. It's closer to Gaspar Noe than it is to Fontaine. Maybe, yeah. Just in terms of like the stylistically linking um, uh, music to these kind of twisted to the uh, abject. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Um, But I think Gaspar Noe has a lot less sort of innate skill than. Brady Corbet, I think I think he's a quite a skilled filmmaker. He just maybe shouldn't be writing his own material. <laughs> I mean, the, or at least I, had someone else do it. Yes, well. I think I was more impressed by the style and form than what it was trying to yeah. convey. Like I enjoyed it aesthetically, but was yeah. kind of puzzled and let it, down. It's very hashtag aesthetic. Very <laughs> well, yeah. Do you think it should have been a funnier movie? Because um, it's everything it's grasping for is. Um, satire or at least the kind of black mirror level of satire and I wondered if if this if it wasn't taking itself so kind of post faced so seriously uh, mm-hmm. then would it have been more successful that probably would have been a better way to illustrate the points it wanted to make than through this Willem Dafoe narration <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was a bit about her seeing the devil uh, again which is played like a revelation yes it's, yeah. She made a deal with the devil to become a pop star. It's like, oh, that's what he says at the end, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that that's what he says about about making a deal with the devil. Yeah, I I think that probably if if this if this were funnier than it is, which I think it is sometimes a little bit funny, um, where I mean inappropriate places, of course. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't really know how. Because this is a, the the subject that it's broaching, which is how you live in a world where um, it's it's the line from from Shallow. It's like, are you happy in this modern world? It's that, but it's that <laughs> as a movie. It's like the the intersection between twenty first century portrait. It is very much a twenty first <laughs> century portrait. Yeah, exactly. So th- if you're trying to broach a subject like that, I think you either have to make it a full on farce satire comedy. Yeah. Um, that's that's totally ridiculous and uses these kind of really strange 
stylistic like quirks rather than something that is very serious and um, dour and even even in those bits where it's kind of sped up, I felt like I was watching something that was closer to to you know Gaspar Noé than say uh, Spike Lee's Chirac, which right. is like th- that that kind of stylistic thing where it's it's pu- it's pushing the the storytelling um, rather than just being formally very um, very dour. That yeah. I think is the is the way that you would have to approach it rather than, he, rather than he's like this. definitely influenced by um, Gus Van Sant, I think, you know, or clearly with Elephant, but also um, to Die For, I think is kind of there, uh, but just not uh, with the same level of kind of Alicia, Alicia doesn't seem to doesn't seem to. <laughs> no, agree. I was agreeing with you. Oh right, like yeah, I could see this being a version of To Die For, like it's got everything there except the humour. Yeah, like the female performances are all parallel. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, so, should we talk a bit about this kind of male perspective uh, that troubled you? There's an article that we found uh, from IG magazine um, that was really good. Beatrice Loiza. Yes, when I was watching Vox Lux, I was constantly troubled by why is Willem Dafoe, you know, middle-aged old man, wonderful as he is, why is he telling this story to us? Like, this is Celeste's story, this is America's story through Celeste, why are we hearing it from Willem Dafoe? Um, and then... You know, it's directed by Brady Corbett, written by Brady Corbett Corbet. and his wife Corbett. It's going to take me a little bit to adjust. Um, written by Brady Corbett and his wife, um, and yeah, it's sort of part of this cycle of films that all have this female pop star narrative. A star is born, Wild Rose, Teen Spirit, High Smell, all written and directed by men, which this ID article talks about. Mm. Um, yeah, why, why do you think that is? Uh, it's it's inter- the positioning of Willem Dafoe is supposed to be like voice of God. Okay. Uh, it's like the default is, is that what the or at least the voice of America or something something like that the right? voice like, yeah yeah it's supposed to it's reaching for that and Willem Dafoe is now you know elder statesman of, of cinema right mm-hmm. um, but it's a yeah default male kind of voice on that yeah if that's what it's going for and this it, yeah it, I think it kind of falls apart because Brady Corbett also talks about how he wanted to make this film a snapshot of America and his generation but he's got Willem Dafoe writing <laughs> yeah. it and it, it could have aligned so perfectly, but no, it's, yeah, you've got to have this familiar authority voice. Defoe's a, a stylistic choice more than anything. He's like, Absolutely. I've, got yeah. Defoe, I've got Willem Defoe's voice. I will sound good as the narrator for this movie. Like, the kind of raspy... Mm-hmm. Like, that whole... That's probably why he chose him more than, more than anything. But it's true, mm-hmm. like, he doesn't... It, it doesn't work in that mm-hmm. sense. But, but what else is, is that saying across the other movies, then, that, that it's the male? Because I, I think that A Star Is Born... Uh, really like I, I don't find that the character of Ali played by Lady Gaga has any agency in that at all like even when he offered to marry him she doesn't say anything he just puts this ring right on her finger and like yeah. um, and it's really it's it's his arc and even at the end uh, as that article points out she's still um, keeping his memory alive through her music and mm-hmm. um, yeah it, it's it's it is definitely Bradley Cooper and Jackson Maine's story. I, I think I, I, I kind of when I when I saw the film, it was before um, this kind of conversation was was really starting about because I, I think I saw it opening day because that was my birthday um, and I had been looking forward to it and I was like we have to go and see this. <laughs> um, and I think what what the the, pro- the problem that that the film I think does have, but maybe I, it doesn't bother me as much as I think other people bother by it, is that it it. 
it's Jackson Maine's story even at the start when it is kind of also Ali's mm-hmm. story. But the way that I interpreted it when I saw it for the first time was that it was kind of um, like that they're two ships kind of crossing on the water going in like completely different directions. Mm-hmm. He's very much going downwards yeah. and she is, you know, by the by the end of the film she's gone upwards. Um, I mean, what you were saying earlier about the pop stuff in the, in the, the Ask Jean song, which is great. <laughs> I fucking love that song. Um, <laughs> it's a good song. It is a great song. It's a fantastic is it, song. Is it? Do you not like it? What? No, I haven't even what wanted to revisit it. Oh, I, I still, yeah. Yeah, I still sometimes <laughs> go back and, yeah. and listen. But I, I, I don't know. My, my, my feelings on that and and this whole and that the whole conversation are that that the point is that at the start of the film, Jackson is already a bit of a husk. Like he's already a heavy drinker. He's already pretty kind of empty when he goes on stage and does his thing. He's got like this, this empty face. Um, and then he meets, he meets Ali. They fall in love, and you know, even even in the second half where it's a lot more, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. He does a lot of drinking and um, smashes that painkiller up. Smashes the painkiller up. And he you know pisses himself on stage. Like all, even through all that stuff, they're still. You know, they step. There's no, there's no scene where they get divorced or anything like that. Like it is, it is a love story. I think my interpretation of that was that the first half is about her getting to the point where she's really popular, and the second half is him going right. from where he's really popular, just going completely downhill. And the reason that I found that compelling was because um, I think that his his I think his music. Um, on the face of it, it can seem like it that's being touted as the real, like, authentic thing because he says loads of times that you know that you know what's that song about the Earth? Just kind of real, real music or whatever. But and this may be just because I really like the Astin song, but like the fact that the fact that he says that, um, but he's also a completely kind of flawed protagonist, which is an issue in itself. Like the fact that we have to watch this guy like piss himself yeah. on stage and stuff. But the fact that he is a completely flawed guy who is a really heavy drinker and doesn't know what he's doing with his life, he's basically having a bit of a crisis, and he ends up killing himself because of that crisis. You know, spoiler, but the film is like... It's, it's a historical one. Yeah, it's a historical right. one, yeah. Um, th- that, that tells me that the whole thing, the whole conversation about whether pop music is authentic or not is kind of not, not irrelevant, but it's a symptom of him being like a deluded old yeah. dude. Yeah, okay. But I also understand that it because he is the protag- he is basically the protagonist even in the start of the film that that it's rubs people the, lo- the wrong way yeah mm-hmm. but I think it's the, that film is better at having that discussion about pop authenticity than this film is well it's actually it's having that. that discussion which yeah. you know, weirdly yeah. Vox Lux isn't like mm-hmm. her album is mentioned in one scene in the interview, in the interview that she scene. has with um, I quite like the, the interview scene actually the interview scene was I think because the, I mean you were talking about the voiceover and mm-hmm. the way that it that that kind of dilutes the female perspective of the fact that it is Celeste's story I, I think also it distances her because if it's just if the film is just this story without the voiceover, I think that it's a lot easier to understand that Celeste is distant because she's a very closed off person who uses you know fast talking like oh yeah you know like that whole scene in the diner with her daughter she's like she you can tell she's trying to hide this really deep kind of dissatisfaction that she has with her yeah with her she's trying to have a normal yeah exactly yeah the the problem with the voiceover particularly in the bit after that where they're walking in slow motion and he talks about the the, the accident that she had or, or whatever uh, it is yes. the problem with that is that it it makes her distant in a like from us 
as opposed to just from the other characters, which I think if she's distant from the other characters, that's fine because that's who she is as a character. But making her distant from us as well dilutes the fact that it's her story, which is, I, again, I kind of another yeah. problem with the fact that it's a guy narrating a story of a, you know, a woman. Mm. In, in You're suddenly life. supposed to like gawp at her in the same way that we were encouraged to like laugh at Kanye or be horrified by yeah. the way that he behaved yeah. last year. Yeah, um, exactly. I thought there was a lot of parallels with Kanye, like maybe more than... You know, I mean, I always see parallels with Kanye, but like maybe more than any. Are you, other are you, are you a Stanye? Are you? Are you I right? mean, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know if I'd, I'd say Stanye, but you know, he's, I would. he's the guy. You You're take, a Stanye. Um, <laughs> oh no, I, I mean, I, I stand, but I don't know if I like Stanye. Oh, the term. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm a kid that sees ghosts. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, whatever. Well, kids do see ghosts sometimes. Sometimes. So, like, sometimes yeah. they do see them. Um, um, did you see his, um, his like church service at Coachella? No. Oh no, no! What? What did he do? So in the the sidebar, he's been doing um like Sunday service, mm-hmm. which is a church that he started in the California desert that like celebrities go to, and uh, the Kardashians were on Ellen or something recently, being like, "Oh yeah, this is our church that we go to on a Sunday." There's no prayer; it's just Kanye doing songs from his discography in a choir, and I mean, then he, he took it to Coachella, and apparently it was just awful. Yeah, it sounds awful. <laughs> That's yeah. That sounds awful. I thought, Just, that sounds quite good to me. Why is it, it so bad? It looks incredible. Like the the pictures of it are like you know everyone's in white in the desert singing. <laughs> like, obviously, I I I do like Kanye West, but like going to a church that's just him playing his music. Is it like his his churchy songs, or is it like? I think you know, he's gospelized um, blood, blood on blood on the leaves. Yeah, I think like he's that. doing like gospel he's gospelized version. blood on the leaves. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> that was Billy Holiday, right? He could, yeah, uh, yeah. Taking it back. Yeah, that's true. Really. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot of Kanye in Vox Lux. There's a lot of it in there, but like, but also everything that Kanye's done is crazier than anything that Celeste. Does. Yeah, it's like, just seer songs, and they're good, but they're yeah. not like these kind of weird like nothing in nothing in this makes me think but even her her actions like you know she crashed a car and went mm, ballistic like that's more of a kind of Britney Spears thing maybe Mm -hmm. it's more Um, of a it's more of a Lindsay Lohan right yeah the meltdown yeah DUI type type thing um I don't know I don't uh, yeah I just it's it's kind of a vague look at pop or celebrity tropes rather than like going crazy with it or yeah that's someone I don't like follow Kanye that closely. I didn't really see that many parallels when I was watching this. I did think of her more as that female pop star archetype and female female idol, mm. um, as you say. Like fallen. fallen. I guess it's yeah. the the thing that like you know after Britney Spears had the the her two thousand and seven uh, problems, that was kind of it for her. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Kanye has had constant controversy tailing him, and yeah. has is still one of the biggest pop stars in the world. Maybe because he's a bloke. Um, but actually, but, that's something that I don't think the movie really interrogates either. Is the fact that she is a woman, like that? I, obviously, the fact that she's a woman does, you know, she the her relationship with Jude Law the, as as the manager is obviously is really important. But the fact that she's a woman in pop music, I don't think they make as big a deal out of that in no. the second half. Yes, as in, the, in the first half, it's in there, the sense but... that, like, you know. Women in pop music are, um, are would would be excused for a lot less than than you know for example some of the things that Kanye West has said for example yeah um, I don't think they make enough of a a point about that no I don't think it does have that on its mind which is kind of a missed opportunity mm, yeah 
could have been about it could have easily I mean if you cut the, the Jude Law well even if you didn't cut the Jude Law thing although I think that the power dynamic is kind of important the fact that, that she's a young girl and he's an old man if you cut that pretty much all of the rest of it she could have just been a guy like a, yeah. a terrible father a guy who survived a school shooting there's just not much of it that, that really strikes me as being about her as a, as a woman which I might be wrong but I can't really remember anything that really makes a, a mm. big point about that at all. Um, how did how did uh, Wild, did you see Wild Rose? I saw Wild Rose. So yes. how does that deal with some of these things? Um, so it's a very familiar kind of story. Um, you've got Rose Lynn who starts the prison as she's sorry she starts the movie as she's leaving prison um, and she wants to be a country star in Nashville but she's in Scotland and she's stuck there. Um, I think the way it tackles her status as a woman is mostly through her failings as a mother. Like, she's got her own mother, played by Judy Waters, who's, like, looking after her two young kids, who she continually ignores or prioritises her career over her kids, and the film is really just challenging. Should she do that? What should be her priority? What's the cost of a dream, and what's your responsibility to your kids? Um... And I think because of the performance of her, you kind of are on her side with it. Um, so it's not really got modern kind of ideas in its mind, would you say? It's more of that kind of traditional British sort of drama? How do you mean? Like, it's not really dealing with, like, pop music as a... that is Is pop music or music a, an actual theme in the film, or is it just, like, the idea of success and career versus domestic... Um, it has like this vague passion for country music that it does does deal with and you believe that about Rose um, but no it's not really talking about it on an industry level I think so much um, or making those like global social connections mm-hmm. um, but I think I was interested how the motherhood thing keeps recurring um, mm. like yeah can you have both can you do both clearly yeah. in Box Lux she's sacrificed her relationship with her daughter for a career I think that's the place where that's the only place where it really seems to have the fact that she's a woman on her mind is the, is her relationship with her daughter and the fact that the daughter is also played by Rafi Cassidy and the the parallels there. But even then, I I don't know. It's it's that and the and the relationship with Jude Law. But the the fact that you have this opportunity to talk about somebody in the public sphere and not kind of go for it. Whereas the motherhood angle is is even then kind of only partially mm-hmm. talked about. Um, person, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, it's a shame we don't have her smell yet, because I think that's got another motherhood angle. In it it does, as well, yeah. It? Well, I think that's seeing that it's going to be coming up in in her smell as well just makes me think it's kind of a tired trope and it's a tired discussion like can you have it all? <laughs> can you be a mother? Can you have yeah. a career? And it's just like leaning on these ideas. Um, yeah. that was very familiar yeah entire movies have been built around the kind of um, like Freaky Friday is basically the, the apex of that, of that <laughs> yeah. yeah so where else where are we really like because um, you, you, uh, Tom you wanted to talk about social media mm. in Vox Lux which I don't actually find is a prevalent theme at all and I was quite surprised when you mentioned that because I just think it, I think it should be That's it the should point. oh yeah, yeah sure like, um, no I think the 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 place where social media appears in, in Vox Lux is with that second terrorist attack like they, don't they post it 
Yeah, it's um, but it but it could just be like it's not actually part of the story that there's anything on social media. It's just mentioned, so it could be just it was on the news. Well, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, but I think that the idea of um, I mean the, the the idea, for example, of a a terrorist attack happening where somebody is wearing these things that are very emblematic and very obviously um, tied to a symbol from somewhere else that we know. Like, for example, if this happened in real life and someone had been wearing those masks, which are basically the black skinhead, the Kanye mm. West masks, I mean, can you imagine how much of a nightmare Twitter would be? Can you imagine <laughs> just how how tiring and exhausting it would yeah. be to exist on Twitter? Like, just when, thinking when about that. that. It's like, it makes you feel Especially like, as a like, Stanier. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, having to... like. like it's almost like you would you would have to defend your corner as a person who maybe disagrees with what Kanye says in public but still likes his music. And th- I think that that idea, again, we do get the, the media reaction because we've got that scene where she's doing the press conference, but we don't get... You know what? What does what does Twitter look like when Cel- when Celeste gets implicated in a terrorist yeah. attack? What would Twitter look like if Kanye West or Sia or um, I guess closer to to Celeste? Who are some other Ariana Grande? Ariana Grande exactly. If Ariana Grande got implicated in a terror attack on Twitter, it would be well, a complete fucking nightmare. And she was in a terror attack. Oh god, you're right. It when? did happen in Manchester. There was a oh, bombing. Oh shit! Well, yeah, Boston. exactly. Well, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's like what that 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 feels like something that's right for discussion and yes. a movie that is placing itself as not just a 21st century portrait, but something that is happening that that yeah, taps but... into stuff that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. To not even really go into the specifics of of like Twitter and how and how it can just amplify people with really stupid opinions to the point where they're yeah because like the, the daughter news. for example is um basically not online is she they mm. they mention a couple of times that they like keep her away from here and, here yeah. and stuff. Yeah. so <laughs> that's not there the, the, yeah <laughs> the, but the closest thing you get is a shot during the concert of a girl a young girl who's like wearing one of the masks mm-hmm. mm. and i was like I, I quite liked that i thought that was quite clever that on the same day that you know what what does that mean but, but then the film but doesn't all answer it does. what does no, it mean exactly. it yeah it's just there but that's it's also it doesn't there. really ask the question either that's yeah. the other thing it's just it's just there yeah oh, that's it's what just... so much of the movie is it's like it's just there yeah. and they don't actually talk about what that means it's, that's why it's struggling to, to get that mm. thing yeah. that, that draws the whole thing so together. then maybe a film that by Brady Corbet about Box, Twitter Box Lights Part 2 I mean i I'd go. I'd, I would. I would I'd also probably, probably go. Actually, yeah. <laughs> in a way, it's ripe for a part two. I think it. Yeah, I think I kind of agree. I mean, oh. not that. I feel like if if he can't make a, if he can't make something that's coherent with this one, then he probably wouldn't be able to do it with another one. But hey, yeah. you've got to give him a chance. He's coding. <laughs> he's, he's working on it. This skills. is his second film. Have you ever like, seen the? Have you seen the Diary of a Leader? The Child of a Leader. leader. Sorry. Yes, the Diary of a Wimpy Leader. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and how does that is that does it stack up? Um, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, it's it's kind of a strange, unsatisfying experience. The beginning and the opening are intensely stylized, and then the middle section is using this childhood as an allegory for the political situation and how we ended up with World War Two and Hitler. Um, oh. And I felt like I didn't really know the history well enough to get every parallel they were mm. making, but maybe. If it's the, the same as Vox Lux, maybe it doesn't actually make those connections that well. 
Is it quite similar to the White Ribbon? It sounds almost... I was just about to say it sounds similar, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen the White Ribbon. Um, But it does have, like, a phenomenal Scott Walker score. So, you know, Brady's got chops. He knows... He's got good taste. And Mm. I think if he keeps at it, he might get somewhere with it. Yes. I mean, Liam Cunningham, uh, a.k.a. um, Sadavos from Game of Thrones, is in Childhood of the Leader. So I would definitely be watching that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'd recommend it. It's got this all pats. Yeah. Uh, he's great in it yeah oh yeah he is I love I love Robert Pattinson and High Life is, is when when is this episode out uh, probably next week so so, so we will week. probably be in a like a a, a High Life kind of centric probably. time yeah uh, we'll be I'm, I'm the, so excited uh, yeah when is that dropping it's not this it will be the Friday presumably after uh, the episode so May the 10th oh okay um, it's going up against Detective Pikachu <laughs> I mean if it's a difficult choice and also Amazing Grace is coming out that um, oh, okay. that, same, that same week as it's well only for everyone yeah exactly yeah. actually I was just going to say that um, the the company that um, distributed Vox Lux in America Neon have a pretty impressive um, slate because they did um, they did I, Tonya, they did um, Assassination Nation Border they did Amazing Grace, Apollo Eleven, the the documentary. Oh, cool. They did The Beach Bum, which I mean I haven't seen, but the poster is just one of my favourite things in the world. Yeah, Spring Breakers um, too. Yeah, they they seem like they seem like they're doing they're doing pretty well for themselves, and they've only been around since twenty seventeen. Their first yeah, yeah they're the new colossal. They're the um, A twenty four of a generation, basically. <laughs> <laughs> every micro generation, <laughs> every, every yeah it deserves. Oh my god! Uh, I, 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 actually, the release date of Vox Lux last mm. Friday alongside 8th Grade and uh, another film that I can't remember Donbass was that last Avengers Endgame well yeah but it's quite interesting that we've had these and there might be another kind of acclaimed film in there as well like I know Endgame is obviously eating everything up and but we've almost got too many alternatives Mm -hmm. because like in that like no one's going to see but everyone right so 8th Grade is probably the biggest Really, like, do you know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, but it's it's very thin and like, it's kind of spread out. So how can how can you keep it float? How can this is a big question? I know, I know. To ask now, I'm just despondent. I mean, I don't know. I think that I mean, if I look at if I look at the stuff that's being released on May the third, Tolkien. Uh, which I'm sure is gonna is gonna be a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. Um, Thunder Road, which I've heard a lot about, but I haven't oh, seen. Yeah. Love well, Thunder Road. Okay. Very good film. Yeah. Um, and then Donbass, I think, is is also coming out, and uh, and Fox Lux. I mean, I, I I don't know. I I feel like um, I feel like there is choice, but I mean, Fox Lux is is not a film that I would recommend people like go and see. It's interesting to talk about, but only if you would really to would. Go and see I think it. there's it's. It fails, but I think if you're open to something that's like quite rough, um, but is at least taking you on a journey, I think it does succeed it's, in that. It's interesting. It's a very memorable sure. film. I think there's a, you're always thinking and you're always kind of responding to it. Not necessarily in a you know as opposed to like the recent Gaspar Noé films where there's nothing happening. There's so much dead space oh, I there. Disagree with that so hard. I love climax. <laughs> okay. I love climax. I mean, but but yeah, no, I know what you mean. There's yeah, yeah there's a lot to chew on. At least, mm, yeah. This is a more interesting film than, um, well, I mean, I was going to say Detective Pikachu will probably be there, but I'm sure that I'm I'm going to eat my words as soon as I see it. <laughs> yeah. Masterpiece, 
But um, yeah, I would prefer I would prefer to to talk about something like this, which is I think a, a just about an admirable failure, um, rather than something that is just like completely lacking in any kind of substance yeah. of, of any description. Um, because like like I said, it, it is an interesting it is an interesting film. I just think that if if you're going to open up a a dialogue about you know things like fame and and social media and terrorism and and how those things intersect now you need to be smarter than than Brady Corbett is which I yeah Yeah, yeah. well it's it's a difficult film to pass a sentence on in that kind of um, (laughs) regard because uh, how how does the sentencing work by the way well I I don't do you want to charge it with any specific crimes before I kind of pass them I guess our leading line of argument is that it's trying too much and failing. So yeah. it's failing itself to live up to its own promise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also it's got the charge of using these female pop star narrative tropes again and again. And does it use them in a good way? Is it like useful to use it as an allegory? I, well, and I think that's, as you said, is a shared charge with some of these other movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that, I think, you know, it does... Not, I mean, when Her Smell um, comes out in, like, three years' time, then maybe we can look at that and see if it does the... See if yeah, the and then maybe give it parole. If, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's going down until Her Smell drops. I would like... To, can I charge as of well? Of course, yeah. Okay, yeah, no. so I would charge um, Vox Lux with, um, ma- with the crime of making me wish Willem Dafoe weren't in this film. Ooh. because yeah. because if it like Willem Dafoe obviously is just like the best the greatest actor he's ever lived and he's a good like he is objectively a, a well not objectively but like as as a as just a voiceover like artist mm. he's great I could listen to him read anything keep forgetting that he's in Finding Nemo and then every time I watch it I'm like <laughs> oh shit yeah, yeah. Um, Willem Dafoe is in this um, was he called a, was he called Nemo Gil no he's Gil but he's always like okay shark bait That's oh like, yeah shark bait shark bait that was a great Willem impression that was really so, good very yeah, yeah, honed yeah. over <laughs> many um, years I would rather that he won the like he that he just wasn't mm. in this movie like not that there, not that there was not that somebody else was a narrator I just wish there were no narrator in this movie because if there was no narrator at least then the ending is Yes. has some semblance of a point that's not spelled out to you and also is kind of wrong I think the, I think the crime of superfluous um, narration is quite a yeah quite a sin actually it's mm-hmm. quite a big, um, big crime yeah what, did you have any other charges I don't think so I think so you, just kind of the gender angle uh, the <laughs> angle <laughs> um, also leaning on authenticity as, a, as an argument um, bothers me yeah. It's, yeah it's the kind of thing where like I, I do think that it's um, guilty of a lot of these things but it had good intentions but you know, <laughs> the best the best intentions aren't you supposed to be like an impartial judge is that not how um, a judge movie I've tried to really be impartial okay right I can't try to fail yeah, yeah okay I try can't stay impartial like, like this like this movie but that's what I'm saying but intentions don't count for anything when um you know, Doesn't it agree? I, I I don't know if the, if the laws of the land would would agree with you. I'm pretty sure you can get done for intent to to like murder. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in, intent to misuse Will and Defoe, I think is like yeah, just that's, as, mu- just that's as more bad. serious for sure. And yeah. I think yeah, we're gonna have to send uh, Vox Vox down. Where's it going? To the clink. The clink. To the okay. movie jail. Movie jail. Um, yeah, I would agree. And I but you know I will look we'll consider it again when her smell. I'll happily out. go and visit Vox Lux in jail. 
That's it. Um, it's got visiting rights. It might even get a day release. Maybe. But maybe. Um, but right now it deserves to be. Right now, you know, and uh, you know, misusing terrorism. Yeah. I don't know the way you should use terrorism, but anyway. I, well, I mean, um, we were talking off mic about, about Billie Eilish, which I actually think is... <laughs> I, no, I, I know that it sounds like I'm going down a ridiculous road, but I I think that that the the conversations about people like Billie Eilish are kind of similar to what the conversations are in this movie, except that in real life there is there is a way for us to, to, to study those conversations and look at, you know, how a a seventeen year old artist manages to get famous singing songs about a pretty like heavy subjects. There's like a mm. song of hers called Zanny, which is just about like how some guy's gonna give her a Xanax and she doesn't want it or something like that. So I don't know, stuff about just just it was just an interesting parallel that we were talking about her off mic but actually she is I think yes. uh, a nice parallel to, to talk about with, with Vox Likes well I think there is something interesting about how much mm, pop music at the moment is leaning on like mental health and uh, drugs but especially from like very young people yeah. um, that I find maybe quite manipulative um, sure I, 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 I was actually so I, I um, I've done I've been doing this thing since the start of the year it was a new year's resolution where I listened to every billboard number one from like when records <laughs> oh, began to, yeah. to now and I'm like I'm in oh, you're going backwards yeah. uh, no 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 from, 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 from the start to, to now <laughs> and I'm now in 2018 so I'm nearing the end okay. um, where did this start where was the billboard what was the first album you had to listen to Oh no, it's songs, not the. Oh, okay. Oh you know, god. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so so I started in January, and then it kind of you can do it like while you're working and just have it on the yeah. background. No, but what is um, the earliest? Oh, the earliest one. Oh god, hang on. Let me let me have a look on here. It's something that's like completely. It's Poor Little Fool by Ricky Nelson, which is just like a. Okay. a what year like was that? 1958. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So like. Yeah, so you get a pretty good idea of kind of the the direction. Anyway, so now now that I'm in the the, the current era, um, particularly in 2018, it's interesting how songs like um, Post Malone's Rockstar and Psycho and uh, In My Feelings and um, just there's lots of songs that are just really like sad and like not not just you know not just like that they're about heartbreak and you know. Uh, uh, you know, life isn't worth living if it's not without you or whatever. Yeah. It's like really kind of introspective. Like in my feelings is such a a weirdly like misanthropic song for yeah. a for a megastar like Drake. I mean, Drake to is write. the most misanthropic. Yeah, exactly. Half exactly. his songs are like um, him leaving voicemails. Exactly. Voices, yeah. But I think that that's kind of that again is something that the movie doesn't quite tap into because the songs are very the songs are about five years too late. As good yeah. as I think they are, yeah. they are late to, to, to for him to be saying this is a, this is like about how we live now. It, I don't think that, that that that's true. Yeah. Even with Sia writing them, I think that's the problem with all these movies in this cycle is that again the way they don't have any social media or much focus on the audience mm-hmm. um, and the kind of the music they are, they don't reflect where we're at, where we are right now. I don't think they're really speaking to that. They're yeah. holding on to really old ideas of pop stars, like yeah. the fact that a Star Is Born is a remake of the. 50s, 60s, 70s movies. It's, they feel like they could still be back then. Yeah. Um, what was that film? Uh, it was big at Sundance maybe last year or two years ago. It was about a girl who wanted to be a rapper. 
Oh, um, patty cakes. Patty, yeah. Oh, did yeah. That, did that, that maybe talk about these things a bit more? I haven't seen it. I missed I it. I saw to. loads of trailers for it when it was like coming out, but I was like, that just doesn't look like. Well, yeah, that was famously a flop, wasn't it? Well, yeah. they paid a lot at Sundance, and then. Um, I think because it won the audience prize, okay. maybe. Yeah. Um, or, or something. Hang on, I might have to look that up. But it, I remember it being fairly aggressively um, marketed when when I was just about to, to move to London for, for uni it was like the, it That's was played at every yeah it was played at every trailer that I saw for the films in like late August early September and then I don't yeah so the budget was was a million and then it, the box office is a million and a half I remember the um, first um, so, films that were really being advertised when I went to uni this is like age stamp was mm. Drive and Melancholia I remember oh, watching wow. them on my freshest yeah. week Wow! And I was like, right. who wants to come with me and see Melancholia? And <laughs> and everyone knew exactly what myself. kind of person you were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, actually, this this is insane. So Fox Searchlight. Um, so the second largest deal of, of Sundance that year. No, the, the the largest deal was the Big Sick, uh, which Am- Amazon bought that. And this was the second largest, and it was bought for nine and a half million dollars, and it made a million and a half. Yeah. So. Yeah, interesting, interesting little little stat there. Um, so maybe that can be part of the addendum when her smell drops. When her smell eventually drops. We have to yeah. do box socks part two. Yeah, box socks part. Yeah, we'll bring yeah. it back and we'll like that'll be when it's parole hearing. Um, yes, happens. exactly. Yeah, we'll see. Time off for good behaviour because maybe this is the kind of film that will actually age quite well. I highly doubt it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not. It's not current enough. Yeah. And also, yeah. her smell is going to be set in the nineties. And yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. again, it's just like this idea yeah. of pop star. It's not really. Yeah. Her smell has the benefit of hindsight. Yes. Oh, the point I wanted to bring up is that um, a lot of these films have been directed by actors and directors. So Max Minghella, who made Teen Spirit, was um, he Bradley Cooper? This was directed by Brady Corbet. Um, um, and yeah what is that some kind of are they trying to comment on stardom or cinema in some respect um i've heard the quote before that like every musician wants to be a filmmaker or like tries to make their music cinematic and every filmmaker tries to make their film like musical or like Mm -hmm. rhythmic in some way so like is there some kind of transfer there or like reaching for that or um to me it reads as yeah, channeling their encounters with stardom and fame through a female pop star, which seems a bit cowardly. They're not commenting on male stardom because maybe mm. it doesn't exist in the same way. Mm. Um, but the fact that they have these personal experiences with fame, you'd think these are I, the things they say would be more nuanced, but they're not. Mm. Yeah, I mean, not not that uh, not that I know anything about what happens in in her smell, but I. From what I gather from um, Teen Spirit, which I hadn't, I hadn't realised that Max Minghella is is in Social Network. Yeah, yeah. Yondra, and horns. That. Let's not forget horns. Oh yeah, of course. Oh my god. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking at a poster <laughs> and, it, and it just it, yeah. That's that's um, uh, war flashbacks. That is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I haven't I haven't seen Teen Spirit either, but I know from the the stories of it. I mean, first of all, I don't know how anyone from the Isle of Wight um, would manage to become a pop star. It's very <laughs> impressive. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I it seems like the casting of, of Elle Fanny is also very significant because she was in Neon Demon as well, yeah. which I think is, I, again, haven't seen Neon Demon, but I've, I've heard that that kind of seems to 
talk about similar-ish. Yes, yeah. that really reminded me of Vox Lux yeah. in that it's a man struggling to say something about, like, he thinks that he's discovered these ideas about female stardom. <laughs> he thinks he's being profound about it, but it's actually quite shallow and, yeah. like, and entry-level kind of analysis. NWR is definitely another edgelord. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so. yeah. Um, I think also that the the fact that they're young as well. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I mean, obviously in Vox Lux, there's the you know she's older in in the second half, which I think is, I don't know. I guess the second half is probably um, in some ways I preferred the individual sequences in the second half, just the mechanics of how mm-hmm. the script was written. It was kind of it was kind of funny and kind of and, and punchy, and the scene in the diner is at least kind of admirable for just how like spiky it is, even if it doesn't really make much sense in the context of the movie but the the fact that in Teen Spirit and in Vox Lux there's a lot of stuff about them being young like young girls kind of breaking into this industry I don't feel like it's it's a it's a a, a 30 year old guy's place to, to talk about how um, like the industry exploits women under the age of 18 mm-hmm. like not not just like these people but real life people like Billie Eilish and, mm-hmm. and um when Ariana Grande started out and mm-hmm. people like that, I don't feel like it's their place to really because they don't really they they don't know what it was like to be a young girl, even a young girl who wasn't a pop star. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what that that mindset is like, and I don't think that many I don't think that any guys could really claim Bo that. <laughs> Apart from Bo Burnham, well, the, yeah. actually, it was interesting that you mentioned eighth grade because the the contrast there between eighth grade and Vox Lux is that eighth grade really does understand like social media and why Mm -hmm. particularly why young people use it and i think that um i don't know i just that that is something that really that's the one thing about like modern movies that really irks me um that's not the one thing at all but it's but it's a thing (laughs) it's a thing that still really bothers me is that there are directors who who still don't quite understand how it works and like if if you use that and make it like a big logistical part of your movie and it doesn't work as opposed to in eighth grade where it really does work or something like searching the John Cho movie where it is the movie which I think is great yeah. um, there's just so many people who don't understand that pretty cool baby being, being one of them I think yeah um, I think Assassination Nation actually gets it quite right I still um, haven't seen that with loads of people telling me that I need to watch it it, it has this kind of grammar to it where uh, sometimes it will use portrait mode but like really? you know, on a split really? screen but, on a, cool. but it, it gets around it by using a split screen so you have three oh. characters all in uh, portrait right. and so it kind of does it kind of it's still natural or um, familiar film grammar yeah but but also has this kind of element to I don't know this, this is a whole other topic now I think there's definitely room yeah, for like social media, social media yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> I think Spring Breakers is one that really started that off as well um, I haven't seen that either. Harmony Corrin is a big blind spot. Um, another edge lord. Another edge. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's—I mean, Vox Lux is—is is the kind of it—it's it, weird because it's the kind of movie that, um, in the '90s, when stuff like you know, kids, the the Corrin movie was was being made, and uh, I don't know, Studio Studio Fifty Four was that one of them? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like Vox Lux is the kind of movie that, that Miramax probably would have jumped on. Like a, it, it's almost kind of like Todd Salon's, like tonally at yeah. least there's a little bit of that and there's a little bit of Von Trier and there's a little bit of, um, you know, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, all of those. Like like, it, it would have been. But that's the era that Brady Corbett grew up in, right? That's, yeah. Mm. I do wonder if I, if I, like I saw a lot of Von Trier in this and like, you know, he worked with Hanukkah, he worked with Von Trier. He, he sort of carved from Thunderbirds through these art house European yeah, directors. Yeah. I wonder if I'm seeing 
those connections just because I know that they there's a connection or if I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt um, like is he just copying his peers maybe I mean I haven't seen the, his yeah, version of the games there's a reason he worked with those people yeah it's because that's his his mindset they share the same point of view right so do you think is he is he copying them or is he working I think them? he's working on his style I think he. I think he has. Like, I. I wouldn't mistake um, Vox Lux for a film that is made by Gaspar Noé, for no, example. No, no. Only because I think that it, it. For most of it, and this is my kind of weird thing about the the, the sped up scenes, which I think are really odd. Yeah. Most of it is shot in this very controlled, particularly that opening is shot in this very controlled. Um, everything's on a tripod a lot of the time the camera doesn't really move very much or if it does it moves on a tripod um, and even when uh, when you see the credits roll and there's the the, the camera is I think attached to the cop car or is like yeah, going it's panning, I think, yeah 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 that that oh yeah yeah that's it yeah, yeah. Um, that control is not doesn't strike me as very um, or, or just that that kind of uh, kind of formal chilliness is not very kind of Gaspar Noé. No, well, that's more the Hanukkah so, kind of. Yeah, song yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so maybe he yeah. is just trying to be a, a Hanukkah. That's actually that actually now that you mention it, I know we talked about um, White Ribbon earlier with mm. with Charlie. Uh, yeah, exactly. But actually, it is kind of this is a the kind of movie that I could. It's at least the kind of movie I could see Hanukkah have some sort of some sort of hand in like I could see him yeah. coming up with this idea and, and trying yeah, to definitely um, make it a movie I mean well, I, I, Hanukkah tries to utilise social media in his latest film Happy End yeah I haven't seen that one but it feels like a 70 year old man talking about social yeah. media and okay. he literally is like says he's never used Facebook or anything so it doesn't really work but I like what he tries to go for with that maybe more than some of the other Hollywood Films that have used. I mean, um, got an ambition. Ca- uh, Cache slash hidden um, is, yeah. is is his is his social media film, and it hasn't got any social media in it. Like right. That that is and that is I think probably like one of the best films of the last like twenty yes, years. It's, 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 it's fucking fantastic. But I think the reason that the reason that something that somebody like Hanukkah. I mean, I don't like funny games. That I haven't seen the Brady Corbett one, but I've seen the the, the um, original Austrian one, German one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the reason that I that I like that I like how how Hanukkah does his probably his most famous ones like Cache the White Ribbon uh, maybe even Amor although that's not unless sold on that one the reason that they work is because they do have a specific point that they're telling with this story whereas yes. Corbet feels like he has a lot on his mind and he needs to get it all down and it and it doesn't doesn't quite none of it really well not all, none of it really sticks but too much of it is trying to stick at once. Whereas Haneke is very much, I have a thing that I'm mm-hmm. going to say, and even if it doesn't work, I'm still going to say it, and it's one thing. But his latest one, which is trying to deal with in modern scene, modern themes and technology, mm. is where one of his most messy films. So yeah. is that something that's in social media or in trying to grapple with the internet? It's like too large, too large to actually like Maybe. make a single coherent point mm. that isn't just shut up and listen to the music, yeah. like. It's like a, it's a symptom of the social media age that we feel like we have to grapple with the social media age while yeah. we're still living in it. Whereas, <laughs> whereas a lot of, um, I mean, for example, one of the best films about the, like the Eisenhower era is Far From Heaven, which was made you know fifty years later, mm. but that is also based off of a film that was made during the era, or the Heaven Allows, which I think is, 
deals with the stuff that was going on you know right then in a really interesting way but i think that that is a not more straightforward but it is kind of that there's a specific set of things that that you could talk about with that whereas social media because of just how big the the, the internet and social media are it's just so difficult to talk about those things in a coherent way when we're still living through it mm-hmm. and there may never be a t- there'll certainly never be a time when we can truly properly grapple with that I mean we might be able to grapple with this specific era of it when we're you know 20 years down the line or 50 years down the line or whatever but um, yeah I don't feel like there's any way that that you could really talk about social media in a coherent way right now because I I don't think there's anyone who has a proper proper handle on the whole thing well like the the social network it's probably like the most famous yeah yeah that's that's the one yeah that was about the internet in the noughties specifically and yeah. I think that in the last 10 years, we've had a huge change with our yeah. kind of relationship with social media. And so it's only commenting on that one period where they're saying 21st century portrait, like, and it, that implies that it's an yeah, ongoing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also The Social and, Network is, for me, is such an important film of this. I mean, when people start inevitably making their like best films of the decade list yeah. or whatever, The Social Network, I think, just, just would have to be on mine because it's so... Um, preemptive about so many of the like it ties together so much of what of the biggest discussions that have happened in like the western world in the last particularly the last sort of four or five years where there's been you know um yeah Cambridge Analytica and also like hashtag me too and you know Donald Trump and the you know Julian Assange like all of that stuff is tied together by by that theme and even though the film doesn't address those things, you can see the seeds of the the specific. I mean, even just fan culture as well, yeah. like the the annoying men who 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 work from their basements to to you know to, to abuse people like Kelly Marie Tran, um, you know, etc. That whole culture is is talked about, even if it's not directly referenced in the social network, which mm-hmm. is why I love it so much. And I mean, talking of part twos. When's, when when are we getting social network? <laughs> social network too that'll talk about this with the Zuckerberg the, take you trial. all the way to the trial yeah that would be amazing just the trial just a, just a, a short film of Jesse Eisenberg replacing <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg so. well you know the first one is set around the trial or the, the, his lawsuits yeah you yeah, have, yeah exactly you can have that point, like the same thing yeah that's, that's my dream <laughs> I, mean, I gotta say I really disagree with you about the social media films being made now because you Do mentioned you the good ones already 8th grade and searching and then, like hashtag horror they are specific hashtag, yeah. and they do tackle these things accurately and I think saying oh it's too much to handle right now is just like films failing at that rather mm-hmm. than um, that's true that's true do, do you think that it's like 8th grade is directly like that it is a film about social media whereas um, it's these other movies that aren't that where it's supposed to be one element of a larger film mm-hmm. that's maybe where it's falling down like it either has to be a film about social media or not at all I think people just still don't know how to integrate it into their stories mm. um, yeah because it is hard but yeah. I think it's just not having the right approach to it I think I think 8th grade also kind of benefits from um, from being about that from being not just being about social media but being specifically about Kayla um, using social media in the context of being in middle school and being at that point where you know even five years ago you wouldn't have imagined a a 14 year old having that much interaction like being that online Um, whereas something like Vox Lux I mean maybe it's just a symptom of Vox Lux being the film that it is but Vox Lux trying to say 
I'm about social media and the wider world, or like how, or like the wider world and their reaction to stuff, and the the two way pull of being a public figure and the the reaction that you get. I feel like maybe that's maybe that's what I'm thinking of in terms of social media yeah. films. Yeah, like the idea of like fame or like of this being the 21st century portrait that is just a kind of about. A, you know, a person's corruption as they rise mm. to the top. That's not actually twenty first century specific. Is yeah, it? that's yeah. kind of always been it. Yeah, and <laughs> and I think that's the, the 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 subtitle is the thing that sinks it is the twenty first century portrait. <laughs> the fact that it can't live up to that mm. that subtitle. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for that's joining right. Us. Yeah, it's yeah, been great. It's been great. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear more from Tom, you should check out the Favorite Podcast. Well, yeah, please do. Yeah, find us on Twitter at the Favorite Pod, and find me. Uh, it's just Tom Atkinson backwards is my is my handle. So Nosnik Termot, just find out. <laughs> um, you have no idea how many people still come up to me after knowing them for like six years and are like, "Oh, your your Instagram and your Twitter handle is your name backwards." <laughs> They're like, "Yes." Light bulb. Went yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody yeah. has that light bulb moment. It's really funny. Um, but yeah, find the favourite and come listen to us. I'm sure that, that um, both these guys will be on it at some point. Oh, yeah, look forward to I mean, that. I hope so. Yeah, thanks for stared into the abyss there. Like, favourite? Favourite? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can also find us. I mean, do check out the favourite, but you can also find us at uh, Judge Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you want to talk to us privately, you can email us at judgemoviepodcast at gmail.com and there's also our WordPress with um, show notes and some more links and things to the things we talked about at judgemoviepod.wordpress.com And uh, until next time, keep uh, keep safe. Don't be watching uh, too many... Don't be, don't be committing any movie crimes. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't do don't, that. Don't, don't. Yeah, the Ben will throw you in the clink. Yeah, exactly. You'll be going down. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, see you in court. See you in court. I love it. (laughs) Love it. That's great. Uh, I don't have enough uh, courtroom courtroom language. language. I'm trying to think of like other... You're going down. Uh, It's just you're going down. You're going down. Like timber. Yeah. Timber was on that list. Is that still recording? It's still recording. Oh, Oh, is it? It's a doll. Oh, great. Oh, excellent, yeah. Um, Yeah, someone listened to the first episode and they said, so you say there's a lot of bad movies out there, so say stay safe. They like that one. Oh, Oh, that's pretty good, actually. That's pretty good. There's a lot of bad movies out there. Stay safe. So stay, stay, stay. Stay safe. There's a lot of bad movies out there, so stay safe. Yeah. I know, that's good, yeah. I like seeing you in court. <laughs> <laughs>